I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How many people in the room, by a show of hands, would say that you enjoy, on a daily or weekly basis, opening up a newspaper, not the website, but a, a printed newspaper at your house or at the coffee shop? You enjoy opening this up and reading it. How many people in the room would say that? A couple people? A few people? Not really that many people? Okay. I've never really big, been a big newspaper guy, but it's a, a form of communication that's been around for a long time. And I was reading an interview this week with a journalist who is a part of a, a newspaper that you would know the name of if I said it. And he said that when it comes to the, the newspaper, the most important thing that they do is headlines. He said that it doesn't matter how sophisticated or how great the article actually is, if you do not have a compelling headline, no one is ever going to read the article. I never thought about that before, but it's true. And here's the challenge with developing a headline. When you develop a headline, you're trying to boil a lot of information into one single statement that summarizes everything. So as we begin this morning, I want to ask you to do something. And you're going to have to think a little bit, but I think you're okay. If you were to sum up where you've been living the past week, the past month, where your heart's been, where your head has been, if you had to sum that up in a headline, what would your headline be? Think for a moment if we were going to take where you've been living the past week or the past month and put it on the front page of the Las Vegas Review Journal, what would your headline read? I want to give you a couple of examples. Maybe for you, your headline is family related. And your headline would sound something like this I'm ready for another vacation. Maybe you just got back from vacation, but you've jumped in just to the rhythm of life and you're already working way too much and not seeing your family nearly enough. And your headline would read, ready for another vacation. Maybe your headline is not family related. Maybe your headline is transition related. And your headline would read something like this. The times, they are a-changing. Maybe you're walking through a period of transition. Maybe that's with your job. Maybe you just moved to the city of Las Vegas. Maybe you're a student here who's about to leave and go to college, and you're just navigating through a time of transition. Maybe, maybe your headline would be more purpose-related, and your headline would read something like this, trying to figure it all out. Maybe you're asking right now some really deep purpose questions in your life. Maybe there was something going on that you thought was for sure and you thought it was solid and it just fell apart and you're right back at square one. Maybe you're here and your headline is relationship related. Maybe you're here and you're single and here's your headline. Where is the one? You're ready to get married. 
And you're, you're wrestling with, what is that going to look like? Am I ever going to meet him? Am I ever going to meet her? When am I going to meet the one? Maybe you're here and you're in a relationship and you believe you've met the one, but you need that person to realize that you're the one. Maybe that's where you're living right now. One other example. Maybe your headline is related to your physical or emotional health. And this is what your headline would say. Tired. Maybe you're just tired. You've been going too hard for too long and you are just tired of being tired. I don't know what your headline would read, but this weekend we're kicking off a character study through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're going to study his life for four weeks. And if, if Daniel's life, his entire life, could be summed up in a headline, this is what it would be. Faith in difficult times. Daniel was a man who navigated through numerous difficult times and circumstances, yet remained faithful to his heavenly Father. And there's no one in the room who doesn't need more clarity about what it means and looks like to navigate through difficult times. All of us struggle with understanding what that's supposed to look like and doing it in such a way that is honoring to God. So over the course of the month of August, we're going to look at four stories from Daniel's life. And we're going to ask God to give us the grace to help us take the scripture and take these stories and apply them to our lives to understand how we can have faith even through difficult circumstances. I'm going to kick us off this week, and then Pastor Vance will be back next week to continue this series one of the questions that I've already been asked as we start this series is, what's a character study? I mean, understand what it means to study verse by verse through the Bible, but what is a character study? Well, Rick Warren in his book, Bible Study Methods, said this about a character study. With a character study, you select a biblical person and research the scriptures to study his or her life and character. You try to become thoroughly acquainted with that person's inner life and find out what made it a spiritual success or failure. You see, one of the things that we have the privilege to do in 2013 is to look back throughout history, specifically throughout the scriptures, and see the history of God's activity story after story and example after example of people who passionately pursued a relationship with God and we get to learn from it. I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter 15. It says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have Here's what I hope happens this month. As we study the life of Daniel, I hope you'll be encouraged. I hope you'll find um, strength and hope as we look at the faithfulness of God in his life. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel? If you open up to maybe around the middle, 
You'll see Isaiah, then Jeremiah, then Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And just so we're all clear, there is no shame this morning in looking at the table of contents. That's what it's there for. So you open up and you find the book of Daniel. And the way I want to approach the text this morning is I want to bring us up to speed about what's happening at this point in history when the book of Daniel was recorded. And then I want to read a couple sections of scripture and just unpack it. And then we're going to look at two life lessons from Daniel chapter 1 this morning. Daniel was recorded around 605 B.C. And the story we're going to read takes place in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And in that part of the world at that time, there was a man named King Nebuchadnezzar who was in power. And King Nebuchadnezzar made a decision to conquer Israel, specifically the city of Jerusalem. And when King Nebuchadnezzar decided to conquer a city, he had a very, very specific strategy. Here's what he would do. He would send in his armies, and they would take captive members of the royal family. In every city that he conquered, the, plate, the people he was aiming at were the members of the royal family. And here's why. Because typically in this day, the members of the royal family were the, were the best and the brightest they were the most educated, they were the healthiest, and they were the best looking. And so his armies would go in, take captive members of the royal family, and bring them back to Babylon. Now in Babylon, they would immediately enter into a three-year training program. And the purpose of this three-year training program was to break them. He wanted to completely wipe out everything they had ever known, and teach them about Babylonian culture and practices. And there were three specific ways that he tried to do this. First of all, he would attempt to change their identity. One of the things he would do would be to change their name. He would give them a Babylonian name, regardless if they were from Judah or from Egypt or from Syria, they would receive a Babylonian name in an attempt to break their identity and everything they'd ever known. The second major thing he would do is change their beliefs. They would enter into education in Babylon that would give them different convictions and different values than they had ever known before. He would change their identity, he would attempt to change their beliefs, and lastly, he would attempt to change their lifestyle. He wanted them to begin functioning under the umbrella of Babylonian culture, which is a, was a very pagan culture. So that's what's happening in this specific scripture that we're about to read. Here's what, here's what Warren Wearsby said about this training program. He says, It was an honor to be trained as officers in the king's palace, but it was also a trial. For these dedicated Jewish boys would have to adapt themselves to the ways and the thinking of the Babylonians. The purpose of the course was to transform Jews into Babylonians. And this meant not only a new land, but also new names, new customs, new ideas, and a new language. For three years, their Babylonian teachers would attempt to brainwash the four Jewish young men and teach them how to think and live like Babylonians. You see, for most young people who were brought into this program, they were excited. 
They got to eat the king's food. They got to receive the best training that Babylon had to offer. They got to live in the king's palace and potentially even be a servant of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. But the story today is one that four young men from Judah are faced in a difficult time with a very, very difficult decision. So look with me at Daniel chapter 1. I first want to read verses 3 through verse 6. Let's read the scripture together. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So you see the picture here of what we've already talked about. These, these four young men are taken from Judah and they're placed in Babylon. Now, Daniel's three friends, you may not recognize the names that I just read. For most people, they know Daniel's Jewish name. But for his three friends, they know their Babylonian names. You see, his three friends were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Historians tell us that these young men were somewhere between 14 to 17 years old. So they were teenagers. Teenagers put in a very difficult time and forced to make a very, very difficult decision. Let's read on. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Verse 8 is a major moment in this story. Now when I read this, here's the first question I ask. What's the big deal about the food and the wine? I mean, that they would offer him you know, some form of nourishment. What's the big deal? Well, here's why it's such a big deal. All the food that was offered to these young men in Babylon had already been offered up to an idol. So in essence, for these young men to partake of the king's food or the king's wine was to acknowledge that there was another God other than Yahweh. And in addition to that, the way that the Babylonian culture would enjoy this food was in large pagan festivals where they would celebrate pleasure and sin and the ways of the world. And the scripture says, Daniel made up his mind not to do so. That was a major, major risk. You see, in that part of the world, even today, when you are offered something, whether it be food or anything else, you must accept it. It is a slap in the face to the people who are hosting you not to receive what they give you. 
But Daniel says here, I'm not going to do it. And he asks not to participate. Let's read one more section from Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 9. The Bible says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord and King who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander had, of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed by your presence and the, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel makes this statement to a man who could have killed him. But he also made this statement to a man that if King Nebuchadnezzar had have found out what's going on, they would have all been killed. But Daniel says, hey, test us. For 10 days, we'll eat what we want to eat and let every, all the other people in the program eat what the king has assigned. And here's what the Bible goes on to say. That 10 days later, when the evaluation took place and they looked at Daniel and his friends and everyone else, that Daniel and his friends were healthier, that they were stronger, that they were better than all of the other people who were eating the king's choice food. And the Bible goes on to say that they were able to have intelligence beyond what the other people had. They were able to interpret visions and dreams beyond what the other people had. To the point that at the end of the chapter, these four men go before King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king says, these men are ten times more valuable than anyone else in my palace. God took care of his servants even in the midst of a difficult time. What I want to do in our time remaining is I want to look at two very, very important lessons from Daniel chapter 1 that all of us can apply regardless of the specific circumstance that you're walking through. Here's the first lesson for us this morning. Difficult times reveal the foundation of my faith. Difficult times reveal the foundation of my faith. When we are in those difficult moments, it, it shows what we're really putting our faith in. Verse 6 is a very interesting verse, and if you're not looking closely, you can blow right past it. Verse 6 says, Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Scholars believe that those four Jewish boys were not the only ones taken from the nation of Israel. There would have been other young men who were taken captive from Judah and brought to Babylon. So here's my big question. If there were other young people who had the same heritage, the same culture, the same teaching of the law as Daniel and his three friends, where were they? Well, here's where they were. They fell into culture. They did not stand up 
and make a stand like Daniel and his three friends. You see, difficult times reveal the foundation of our faith. And this morning, I want to give you a couple of cautions that I think are very important to us to apply to our lives as we try to understand how God wants us to have faith in difficult times. Here's the first caution I want to give you. I must allow the reality of who God is to determine how I view my circumstances. I must allow the truth about God, the reality of who God is, to shape how I view all of the circumstances in my life. It's critical for us to understand today. Depending on your background and your growth as a disciple, you may or may not have a biblically accurate view of God. You may have walked in here today with a very distorted view of who God is. A.W. Tozer made a statement that I think is so profound. He said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You see, some people in our, in our world have a distorted view of God. And so they spend their whole life responding to the wrong idea of who God actually is. My view of God and His Word will determine the way I respond to Him and the level in which I trust Him. And it's so critical that you and I have a right view of God because our view of God is what we're to look through as we process all of the circumstances in our life. What you know and who you know is what's going to allow you to get through whatever you're going through. So that begs a really important question. What's the truth about God? If the, the reality of who God is is to be the filter through which I see all of my circumstances, what is it that the Bible tells us about God? Well, obviously, we don't have all the time in the world to unpack that, but I do want to give you some, some characteristics about God that I hope in your circumstance you'll recognize today. And then I want to read a couple of scriptures. I want to go down just a list of some things the Word teaches us about our Heavenly Father. And as I read these, I really want you to process them and think about the significance of what I'm about to read. You see, this list is not true of me. This list is not true of you. But it's true about God. Listen to some of these things. God is eternal. God is holy. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is all-wise. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is unchanging. God is love. God is always present. God is righteous. God is good. God is our Father. God is our peace. God is our shepherd. God is our protector, and God is our provider. That's who God is, according to the truth. 
But for many of us, we're approaching our, our, our difficult times and our circumstances, but we're doing so without an accurate picture of who God really is. Listen to this passage from Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. That's what the Bible tells us about God and his great love for his creation. I want to read you one more passage from Romans chapter 8. Here's what the scripture says. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Later on in the chapter, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or stress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Later on in the chapter, it says, But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says about God. And the reality of who God is must determine how you and I see our circumstances. I don't expect that just by reading a list of attributes of God and two passages of Scripture that the pain or the struggle you're walking through is going to go away. I in no way expect that. But there can be a change today. You can change and say, you know what? Everything that happens in my life, I want to begin to see it through the filter of the truth. I want to begin to process the things that are happening in my life based on what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God says that we serve a King who is all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful. So here's the biblical conclusion I want to give you as it relates to who God is. In every moment... God is in absolute control and working to accomplish His victorious purpose in and through my life. I want you to hear that again. Whatever, you're, whatever you have going on today, in every moment, God is in absolute control and working to accomplish His victorious purpose in and through my life. Amen? That changes the way you think about your circumstances. 
Because in most cases, when you are walking through a difficult time, the enemy wants you to feel isolated. The enemy wants you to feel like you're all by yourself. But what scripture is telling us is that God is always present. He is always pursuing. He is always loving. And he is always in control. I must view my circumstances based on the reality of who God is. That's the first caution I'd give you today. Here's the second caution. My natural tendency will be to view my circumstances based on how I feel. What needs to happen for us, what we learn from Daniel, is that when he was shaken to his core, his faith was in the truth and the law of God. But the natural tendency for every human being is to navigate through our circumstances based on our emotions. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of people live. Their faith is based on how their day is going. When things are good, they're good. When things are difficult, they get frustrated. When the life is good, when money is good, when health is good, when family is good, when the social life is good, my faith's good. But let one difficulty arise in any of those arenas. And we, even as the people of God, can be the first ones to shake our fist and, and assume that God has gotten off of his plan. In moments of crisis, we should cling to the truth, not abandon the truth. If you're walking through a difficult time, the greatest thing you can do right now is cling to the truth of God. Stuart Dean said this, when the truth of God is abandoned, so is the hope and strength to face suffering. You see, Christians are not immune to suffering. We've got brothers and sisters all over the world who are persecuted in an unbelievable way for their faith. And it hurts, and it's tough, and there's a struggle. But where we find victory, where we find hope, is what the Scripture tells us about God and what the Scripture tells us about the future. And my caution to you today is to recognize that in difficult moments, our sinful nature is going to push us to focus on how we feel and to focus on the lies of the enemy rather than by faith believing the truth. But here's what I want you to know. When you're in a circumstance and you have the choice to choose the truth and to put your faith in the truth or to, to put your faith in your emotions and how you feel, if you choose to put your faith in your emotions, you are choosing doubt over peace, fear over victory, and compromise over integrity. I'm going to say that again. In every moment when you have a difficult circumstance that arises in your life, you can choose by faith to trust the truth and believe in the reality of who God is, or you can choose to put your faith in your emotions. And every time you put your faith in your emotions, you are choosing doubt over peace, fear over victory, and compromise over integrity. You see, your relationship with God is not based on how you feel. Your relationship with God is based on what's true. 
And I really want to caution you with that today. We must view our circumstances based on the reality of who God is. But our natural tendency is going to be to process our circumstances based on how we feel. Well, what did that look like for Daniel? Daniel's in a difficult moment. Daniel chose to rely on the truth versus what his emotions and the culture was saying. How in the world did that happen? Well, look again at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. That phrase, made up his mind, in your Bible it may say resolve. It literally means to plant or establish your heart and soul somewhere. It means to give your all to something. And here's what I believe for Daniel happened. He had given his all over the course of his life to understanding and processing the law of God. And what's so fascinating to me about verse 8 is not that he made a decision in that moment. What's so fascinating to me about verse 8 is all of the years and the months and the weeks he spent pursuing God so that in the moment recorded in verse 8, he chose truth over emotion. That's what's so powerful to me. It's not that Daniel just had the discipline in that moment to make the right decision. No, for years, Daniel had been brought up to understand the law and the ways of God. And he pursued him and he knew him. And so in that moment, that wasn't when everything happened. It was determined in the time leading up to that moment. I wrote this in my notes. And this was the statement for me that was really applicable this week as I studied. My pursuit of Jesus today is preparing me for the difficult times I will face tomorrow. That's what we can learn from verse 8. That's how it happened for Daniel. My pursuit of Jesus today is preparing me for the difficult times I will face tomorrow. You see, if you walk into this week and to catastrophe hits on Tuesday, you can't just in a moment cultivate intimacy with God. That happens over time. That's a daily pursuit that we get the opportunity to experience. But as you pursue Jesus every day, it's going to prepare you for those difficult moments when you have to make hard decisions or hear difficult news. My pursuit of Jesus today is preparing me for difficult times I will face tomorrow. An intimate walk with Jesus is not defined in a moment. It is developed through a life of pursuing Him. Because if you never pursue Him, you'll never know Him. And if you don't know Him, you will never trust Him. You see, for you and I, as it relates to anchoring ourselves in the truth, we must make the decision that we will base the way we see circumstances off the truth of God before we even know what those circumstances are. We must view our circumstances based off the reality of who God is. And that's how it happened for Daniel. It wasn't that he was strong enough or disciplined enough to make a decision in the moment. No, he had had years of pursuing God and understanding the law of God. And so in verse 8, it was just the fruit of his constant pursuit of his heavenly Father. So that's the first lesson I want to challenge you with today. 
Difficult times reveal the foundation of my faith. When we are pressed, when we are squeezed, it will show us if our faith is genuinely in the scriptures. If these songs that we sing every week, if the stuff that we talk about in small group is legitimate or if it's just something we do as long as things are going well. Difficult times reveal the foundation of my faith. Here's the second lesson from Daniel chapter 1. God is able to work in and through difficult times. Daniel makes this decision that's a very risky decision to ask not to participate in eating the king's food and wine. Look at the first two words of verse 9. Now, God. Have you ever had a now God moment? When something fleshes out in your life and you don't know if it's good, if it's bad, if it's going to be chaotic, and then God does something to show you He's always been for you, He's never left your side, and His presence is still with you. That's exactly what happened with Daniel. God honored His servants and moved on their behalf. God is not limited to working around difficult circumstances. God is capable to work in and through difficult circumstances. We all have those moments when the pieces fall apart and we think God's not on the throne anymore. God is surprised. God is shocked. God's never been any of those things. You see, God is able He can do whatever he wants, and he can change whoever he wants. He is able, even in the midst of stuff that we believe the world's over, God is still capable to work in and through those circumstances. That's his status. That's who he is. And so who am I to think that if I can just get control of the things that are happening in my life, it's going to turn out better? When the entire time there is a God who is all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful that wants to work on my behalf in and through my circumstances. In your heart of hearts, and you don't have to answer out loud, do you honestly believe that God is able to work in and through your circumstances? I want you to think about that. Do you really believe that's possible? Every Sunday when we have a time of response, a lot of people who come up to pray, they're they're hurting. And they've got a relationship or a job issue or a health issue, and they just ask us to pray over them. And every time I, I pray around kind of the same two things. I pray over them in faith and say, God, I know you are capable to do anything that you want to do. God, you can do it. I believe that by faith. But, God, I also know that you know best. And you see from a perspective that I don't see from. So, Lord, I pray if it be your will, you would move in the life of this person. But ultimately, Lord, we submit to what you allow. All the while believing that God is able. I don't know everything that's going on in the room today. I know there are some people and and your life is tough. And in no way do I want to play down the significance of what you're walking through. But I do want to encourage you that if you will allow the truth of God to shape the way you see difficult times in your life, 
you can recognize there is always hope. There's always a chance. Our God is great enough that even in death for his children, there is still victory. I want to close by reading you a couple of examples from Scripture. A lot of us know one of Jesus' disciples. His name was Peter. And um, there's one story where Peter and some other disciples went up on a mountain. And we know the story as the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to read just a short piece of that story to you. In Matthew 17, the Bible says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, meaning his face started glowing. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. You see the picture. Jesus takes three guys up on a mountain and they begin to see Jesus for who he really is. The Bible says he's glowing like the sun. His garments were as light. And they see Moses and Elijah and God speaking. And Peter says, let's build three tabernacles and just stay up here. This is awesome. This is where I want to stay. If you look over to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read something else about Peter's life. In verse 69, the Bible says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said, to those who were there. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. So there's a story of Peter on the mountain. And there's a story of Peter in the valley. All of us can relate with experiences on the mountain and experiences on the valley. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. What God reveals to us on the mountain should not be forgotten in the valley. If you're a believer, you've been rescued You've been saved. You've been given life, hope, and joy in the Son of God. It doesn't get any better than knowing for eternity you are in Him and He is in you. 
But all of us have weeks that are tough where we struggle. You may be in that at this very moment. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't let the things he taught you on the mountain be forgotten when you walk through the valley. There's a song that growing up I heard, it seems like every Sunday at church, and I actually didn't like the song very much. But the older I've gotten, uh, the more I like the song. And I want to read you just a part of the chorus because I think it says something that is so significant for us to understand this morning as we talk about difficult times. It was written by Eddie Carswell and Babby Mason, and here's what it says. When you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. You may be on the brink of disaster. I hope you can find encouragement today that even on the brink of disaster, God is able to work in and through your circumstances. His heart is for you. He desires good things for your life. He desires to conform you into the image of Jesus. And even at this moment, he is in complete control. Daniel is an example that even in the midst of difficult times, as we honor what we know the scripture teaches, God will be with us. As we prepare for a time of response, there's, there's one verse um, in the Old Testament that I really want to shape our response time this morning. It's from the book of Lamentations. It says this, Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer to Him. That's what I want us to do today as we prepare to sing a time of response. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come. and In just a moment, we're going to stand up together and have a time to respond. And what I want to encourage you to do today with your circumstance, with your headline, whatever that is, is to pour it out like water before the Lord. Maybe you want to come up to these steps and just make this an altar and get on your knees before your Heavenly Father. We're going to have some pastors here at the front. Maybe you want to come to one of us and just let us pray over you. Maybe you want to sit and just be still in your seat. Maybe you want to sing and you want to worship. I want to encourage you during this time of response, whatever it is in your world that's going on, pour your heart out like water before the Lord. Lift your hands to Him in prayer. He's in control. He's on the throne, and he is actively working to accomplish his victorious purpose in and through your life.